0: Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the Stage and Screen podcast, episode 18, coming to you virtually from Casa de Quinn and Eleven Eleven Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Craig Heilman. And I'm Matt
1: Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with that Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts and artists from LA to
0: the UK. We're excited to be joined in a few moments by Tim Conway, Jr., award-winning talk show host at KFI in Los Angeles, and as you may have guessed, son of actor and comedian Tim Conway. But first we wanted to let you know about a special event coming up at the historic Roxy Theater in Bremerton, Washington. The Roxy is turning 80 this year and to kick off the celebration, The Roxy is throwing a birthday party for Quincy Jones, who turns 88 on Sunday, March 14th. The Roxy will be hosting several special events, including showings of The Wiz on March 12th, 13th, and 14th. Come down Sunday afternoon, early evening, to the Roxy's pop-up wine bar and wear your favorite Wiz or Wizard of Oz costume. We'll see you there and stay tuned to Heilman and Haber for more details and visit the Roxy Facebook page for updates at, at Roxy Bremerton. And speaking of the Roxy, now playing on the Roxy big screen is the
1: much-awaited Supernova, the powerful and touching story about a gay couple, one a musician and the other a novelist, played by Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth, as they embark on a road trip, as dementia starts to take hold of one of them. Also continuing its run is the eye-opening documentary MLK FBI, based on newly declassified files. This film by Sam Pollard explores the history of the U.S. government's surveillance and harassment of Martin Luther King Jr., And speaking of history, our guest today is a man whose fans love him for his knowledge of history and his down-to-earth take on life and the refreshing levity he delivers each weekday from 6 to 10 p.m. on his award-winning radio show on KFI AM 640
0: in Los Angeles. Tim Conway Jr. was born and raised in the City of Angels and proudly admits he survived 10 years in what he can only describe as a... Youth Detention Center, the Los Angeles Unified School District. He spent his childhood around around Santa Anita, Hollywood Park, and Del Mar racetracks with his father, Tim Conway of Carol Burnett Show fame, his four younger brothers, and one older sister. During his early career, he produced his own internal internet radio show, and thanks to his popularity, he was offered an opportunity to host a radio talk show on 97.1 KLSX FM. Over 12 successful years, Conway's show became famous for providing Southern Californians' With a wide variety of entertaining topics, including live police chases, Hollywood craziness, and sharing current events with a twist of humor. And in 2009, when KLSX switched to an all-music format, Conway
1: joined forces with KFI AM 640, the number one news talk station in the country, to continue bringing his unique and comedic perspectives to topics like politics, gambling, and more. Throughout his career, Conway has been featured on numerous television programs and has received various industry awards, including uh, a Golden Mike Award, an Edward R. Murrow Award, and a Marconi nomination for Personality of the Year in 2016. And when he's not busy entertaining listeners, he enjoys spending time with his family, supporting local charitable organizations, and hanging out at the racetracks. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. You got it. I, listen, my pleasure, guys. Growing up in L.A. with a well-known actor and comedian father, did you always know that you wanted to be an entertainer, or was there a specific moment that sparked your interest in show business? Well, we didn't actually –
2: there's a policy in my house that's not really well-known. We didn't actually get to meet our dad until we turned 35. (laughs) So I just saw him on TV a lot and uh, enjoyed his work. Very, uh, very talented man. No, I don't know. I think it just sort of – you know, when – i think you get into radio or into show business when you really can't do anything else you know you try other things in life and you realize you can't get up at seven o'clock in the morning and sit in a you know in a cubicle Uh, you realize you can't work outside you realize you're not good at sports uh you realize you know a lot of things then you just sort of slide into i guess i could do this right and 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 that's sort of how it happened it was it was just like really dumb luck and anytime you get you know any any job in radio um especially you know, in a big city, there's a lot of luck involved. A tremendous amount of luck involved. So these these blowhards that, that tell you, Oh, well, I was in Memphis and then I went to Akron. I worked my ass off, called people all
1: day, they're full of shit. They're lying. <laughs> it's luck. Yeah. I just finished a book about Orson Wells and was listening to some interviews with him and there's a guy with a career, and he, he gave all the credit to luck. Yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky to have these people in my life. I was lucky to get this break. I was lucky, lucky, lucky. Right. So, yeah, no. Yeah.
2: And then people, you know, people get up at the award show and they thank their team. And, you know, they got a great team around them and everything. They're just and then they go into politics and crap like that. It's just it's they should get up there and go, look, I'm a lucky SOB. Thank you. Good night.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I'll (laughs) I'll I'll tell you. uh, even in, in business, a uh, guy I worked, I tell this story all the time. It's not show business, just work, but a guy I worked with 20 years ago, I ended up calling about getting a job, you know, 10 years ago, which led to a bunch of other stuff. And it's just weird how things as you go through life turn right. out that are just luck of the draw, you know, one right. door, one door opens. You don't know where that's going to lead. And next thing you know,
2: yeah. And and it's another reason why you don't burn bridges, you know, because mm-hmm. eventually you got to maybe you know, call somebody and go, Hey, I'm uh, busted out. You got anything for me?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your dad, uh, like a, a bunch of folks did back in the day, radio onto television. You've kind right. of done it the opposite way. You've been in radio for 25 years, <laughs> but you started in television and film as an actor and producer. Did you, which is just which is kind of, you know, counterintuitive in, in the industry a bit. Did you always, have an interest in radio or is something you fell into as, as time went on? No, I always wanted to do radio. And then I just got into producing TV. Cause a
2: buddy of mine called and said, you know, we're producing a show up in Canada. Can you go up to Canada to figure out what's wrong with this show? It's called boogie's diner. And I went up there and I said, yeah, <clears throat> and I'll tell you what's wrong with the show. Everybody on the show has to be fired except the actors. <laughs> Everybody's got to go. And he says, well, short of that, what can I do? And so, well, you got to bring in writers. So I brought in new writers and we, and we got picked up for another season, which they were happy about. But here's when I knew show business wasn't for me. I was working on a show called High Tide. And we were, there was an actor, I can't remember his name, but he was supposed to be walking down the beach, and he runs into an old high school uh, uh, a guy he knew in high school, but they were enemies. They hated each other in high school. So the, the scene starts, and he walks by and goes, Hey, Dave, how you doing? And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand you guys hated each other in high school. It's an uncomfortable situation here. It's not best buddies. And so he does it again. And he's like, uh, and he walks in and he goes, he goes, I never liked you much. I go, no, 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 no. You don't start the fight again. It's just an uncomfortable (laughs) moment. And then you move on. And so I had my resume with me, right? And I, and I said to him, I said, I said, this is my resume. And there's about 14 or 15 TV shows that I did. I said, do you recognize any of the, uh, any of the shows I've done? And he looked at the resume and he said, I don't recognize any of them. And I said, you know why? And he says, no. I said, because they're all shit. <laughs> Everything I've ever worked on is crappy. Everything I worked on is the worst, right? And I know crap and what you're doing is perfect. Crap is what you're doing. <laughs> one, for, one more for the resume. That's exactly right, yeah. So I, <laughs> I knew I couldn't do that. I just wasn't that into it. And it takes a lot of work. You know, those guys are working 18, 19 hours a day and i am inherently super duper uh, lazy like i i just when what, uh, like 2 minutes you guys asked me to do this podcast i think in june of last year oh well it was, couple, it was a couple it was a month or two ago month or two okay it okay. seemed yeah. like
0: june but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay <laughs> it's, 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 it's all a blur
2: and then literally and nothing against you you two uh, young men literally 5 minutes before we went on I'm like oh i should probably listen to one of those podcasts <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: it's just
1: not you guys it's just total laziness <laughs> Well, it can't be all laziness because it, you've, you've made some moves within radio. You've won some awards. And, and, well, you're talking about, you know, not having to get up too early. You slipped right. into a time slot. Uh, when my old radio colleague at KVI up here in Seattle, Brian Suits, moved from L.A. back up to Seattle. That's right. Uh, and that was in. Uh, let's see, you made the move originally from KLSX to KFI in 09. You've been there ever since. Right. And then slid into that afternoon time slot. And my, my question is, is that just to avoid the traffic in L.A.? Or <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot you know, KFI's got a long and distinguished history. in right. La number one talk news talk in, you know, in the country. What is it that you enjoy most about? About your show there at KFI—is it the abundance of news events in town? You know, the, the audience, the traffic, <laughs> uh, the paycheck is very the good. Paycheck. Um, but no, but you good know, answer. Brian
2: Suits is great. Brian Suits is is one of the smartest guys uh, in radio, and my dad really enjoyed uh, the Brian Suits show. And um, but no, I whenever I, I can't stand traffic, so I really probably shouldn't even be living in L.A. And and I and I um I I, I tried to do everything I can to avoid it. So I literally whenever I get a job. I try to move within a mile of where I'm going to be working. <laughs> so when I worked in Koreatown, I literally lived in Koreatown on Normandy and Wilshire for people not familiar with it. It's a really busy, congested area. And I literally, I was literally, I was living in like the 12th story of a, of an apartment building in Koreatown, which I really enjoyed, but I, and, but I, and then I lost that job and I moved to, um, uh, KFI and literally I, I bought a house in, in Burbank it's a mile from the station. Cause I just can't stand sitting in traffic. I, I effing hate it. I hate it. Um, but, but what's nice about KFI, look, I've been doing the same crap on radio for 25 years. And when I was with KLSX, maybe once every two years, when you're in a target or something, the guy goes, Hey, he goes, I recognize your voice, right? Maybe three times in the 12 years I was there, but now with KFI almost on a daily basis, uh, I'll some guy will hear me at, you know, like a restaurant or whatever and say, Hey, are you on KFI? So it's not, it's not my act. It's the, it's how powerful that station is. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And I grew up listening to that station. I mean, I was a huge fan of the John and Ken show, which is on right, right before us. And I used to send them audition tapes to try to get the interviews. And John told me that he used to take the tape and give it to his kids so they can record music over it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of cool. Well, I can identify with that. I, I got into radio in college and ended up working with a lot of the guys that I grew up listening to. And, uh, oh, that's Suits great. Suits was our evening host. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And he talked about KFI a lot. And so KFI was just kind of – that was like the pantheon. So right. it's it's neat to get some background. Yeah, he's, he's terrific. Uh, and as and I said, my dad was a, was a, a huge
2: fan. And I, I told you guys this story before, but, uh, but for the show. Um, my, I called my dad and I said, hey, I got a job at KFI. And he says, who are you replacing? I said, uh, Brian suits. He goes, wow, Brian suits. Uh, where's he going? Uh, he's going up to Seattle. He goes, oh, he goes, what station is it gonna be on? I said, I don't know. I'll find out. He said, well, can I podcast it? I said, um, I'll find out. He goes, what about streaming? Can I hear it live? I said, dad, remember this conversation started with, I got a job. It's turned into the, <laughs> you know, Brian suits, uh, uh show. <laughs> I would say that most of the things that I talk about on KFI, I would say about 85 to 90% of them, I either got from the racetrack or I heard at the racetrack um, at, at the horse. Cause those guys, everybody that goes to the racetrack is a character, everybody. <clears throat> and the old, there was an old, um, the old timers have a saying at the racetrack where uh, if there's two horses that have separated themselves from the pack, and you know, it's the eight and seven, seven, eight, eight, seven with every stride, there's a new, uh, you know, leader, seven, eight, eight, seven, eight, seven, seven, eight. And the, and the old timers in the track will yell out, uh, oh, we got ourselves a ding dong!" right. <laughs> and, and so I was talking about it, a, a, a story one night about this woman in San Diego that killed her husband. And I'm like, oh, what an a-hole she is. And I found out he was cheating with her sister. I'm like, oh, well, he's the a-hole. And the only reason he did it is because she spent all of his money okay she's an a-hole i couldn't figure this out <laughs> i couldn't figure out who the bigger a-hole was so i said oh man that's a uh, ding dong we got here right and i would have never said it twice but matt money smith who's on our uh 570 a.m uh the sports station in, in our iheart media he calls me up after the show and he goes dude he goes, I've been listening to radio for 40 years. I've never had to pull off the freeway because I thought I was going to crash. I was laughing so hard. He goes, You've got to use that. That term ding dong is unbelievable. And again, if it wasn't for him, I'd never said it twice. Never. <laughs> we talk about the
0: track. I-, I swear one of the funniest movies I saw your dad in was The Long Shot. Oh, man. yeah. Yeah. And, and the the just the the image of him running out into the track with the red thing, you know was just yeah. uh it was hilarious yeah he loved the racetrack uh, i remember being at Santa
2: anita with him and uh i was coming out of the bathroom and i saw this guy he was throwing up his pants were down around his ankles and he was he was leaning into a toilet at the uh, at the racetrack and he was screaming to his friend hey go bet this horse go bet it right he's throwing up and so I, t- I, I go back to the table and I tell my dad that story. I go, man, the guy's got his pants around his ankles. He's on his knees, throwing up in the toilet and yelling at his buddy to, to go bet a horse. And my dad, without skipping a beat, goes, who do you like? I'm <laughs> like, dad, I, he's throwing up at the racetrack. I think he's out of luck. I think his <laughs> luck has uh, run out. And by the way, that was Charles
0: Bukowski. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, LA, you work in LA, it's one of the most diverse cities in the world, epicenter for all things entertainment. How mm. has, uh, how was growing up in LA and the son of a television and film celebrity shaped your show or, or how you do radio?
2: Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which is like the ugly stepchild of uh, Los Angeles. And it's, it's a lot different than when it was, and I'm not just saying this, you know, because older people, you know, complain about the, 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 the good old days, it really has become a really filthy, dangerous place to be. It really is. And so you got to constantly look out for idiots. I don't know if you saw this in the news, but there was a guy wearing a watch in Beverly Hills, half million dollar watch in Beverly Hills and three guys at two o'clock in the afternoon, broad daylight, uh, stick a gun in his head in in his, in his, uh, to his head and then take his watch well that's just that's like literally uh that happens probably 10 to 15 times a day around LA they're getting rid of the the poli- the budget for the cops they took 150 million dollars out and then they wonder and then they you know they're releasing guys early from prison cuz of covid and then they're like shit i wonder what happened here
0: I wonder why crime going <laughs> up <laughs> <laughs> ah, strange no one can figure it out <laughs> it's just logic you keep talking about Right.
1: <laughs> well, your, your fans love you for your often comedic perspectives on stuff just like that. Uh, t- heavy topics um, that you can find a, a way to spin you know, in, in a humorous light. How do you approach topic selection for your show? Um, do you look for the humorous stuff first and kind of present the news angle? Or, do you, or is it the other way around? Find the news and then tap into the old Conway funny bone for the, for the funny detail?
2: Well, you know Sharon Belliot and uh, and Mondo and and Angel Martinez, um, and, you know they're the ones that do all the work. I I literally, you know, you do a little research online. You try to figure out you know what's going on just so you don't embarrass yourself, and uh, then you go in. Look, I used to do a, a show over a, another radio station on, on KLSX with a guy named Doug Steckler, and we used to do six and a half hours of prep each day. We'd we'd get it. We get to the station at eleven thirty. And we'd go on at 6 PM. Right. So we literally would work for three hours, take a half hour to get a meal and then work for three more hours, six and a half hours of prep, you know, writing everything, everything was written, uh, almost every beat of the show. And then we said one day, all right, let's take six months off where we come in a minute before the show without talking to each other and see what, what goes on with the ratings. They were exactly the same
1: as when we spent six and a half hours <laughs> prepping. Exactly the same. So we said, "F that." Good old Arbitron. Yeah, right. Exactly. Anybody out there testing? Anybody listening? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I think when we like interview people, I think it's you know I'm just naturally curious about stuff anyway. Um, you know, and I'm excited. that, You know, when when people say yes to be on the show, I think it's kind of cool. You know, mm-hmm. um, because uh, I know that. When I was younger, I used to love calling talk radio. I was punished a lot when I was a kid. and I used to love calling talk radio. And the rule was that they had, you had to be 18. You know, if you call KBC, they'll hang up on you, going, all right, call us back when you're 18. And I'm not, I'm like, well, that sucks, right? I mean, you know, that uh, you just discriminate against kids like that. I mean, that's, you know, they're not doing, they're not drinking or smoking. They just want to talk on the radio. So we don't, we don't do that. We like the kids, uh, you know, call up And, and kids are always, you know, the, the funniest and the most natural uh, on the air anyway. There should
1: be kids talk radio is what there should be. Oh, there's an idea. If this podcast casting doesn't work out. We should look into that, Greg. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but you, you
0: mentioned, uh, Tim, you mentioned being naturally curious. I know that's one thing Matt and I have in common too, is, is we love getting people on here, just asking questions and finding sure. out um, stuff. The one thing I look at in the advent of all this technology is a lot of kids these days, everything's on the phone. There's an instant... Um, gratification instant knowledge is do you think we're losing some of that curiosity in some of our younger folks and and where are the next interviewer is going to come from with, with um with this well i think you're onto something uh i mean i don't
2: like to do it my I, I i hate to do this but anytime i can't come up with a name like i'm i'm thinking of uh you know the lead singer of the who right and uh, and i can't come up with it i instantly you know, go online and try to figure it out. And it does slow you down a little because you mm-hmm. don't have to think anymore. Everything is right at, at, at your fingertips. But I will say this though, I have a, I have a daughter who's 15, and if it wasn't for Zoom and, and texting and her cell phone, this pandemic and her being home for a year would have been a disaster. Oh yeah. Right? Uh, and, and those little phones, as much as people complain about them They've saved a lot of friendships um, because otherwise, I mean, can you imagine if this pandemic hit when, when you were younger and, and maybe, maybe if, if, um, I'm, I'm a better example. When I was younger, we just had phones. Um, we didn't have, you know, any way to other, uh, other way to communicate. And we didn't even have answering machines. When you called somebody, they had to be home mm, ready yes. to talk to them. <laughs> you know,
0: That's I
1: vaguely remember that. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> so you mentioned the technology thing, and you do you do podcasting and your YouTube and social media, just like you know Matt and I do. And with all the advent of all this media, and maybe this started with satellite radio, uh, when however twenty some odd years back. When right, uh, what do you think the future is for terrestrial radio? Do you think it's still relevant? Is as relevant as it used to be, and can stay relevant in the future, or are we just gonna kind of migrate into these new mediums?
2: Well, I, you know, they always say radio's dying. Radio's dying. Radio's dying. And then, you know, last year we had the best year that KFI has had in twenty years. Well, wow. I mean, it, it, obviously, it had something to do with the pandemic and people want information. I get that. Um, and and if I had to do it all over again, I wish there was no pandemic. I'd rather. I'd love to trade in the ratings and get this, you know, country back to normal. Um, but I think that it'll always be around because. You know, there are certain things that you need to like watch or listen to live. Uh, and sports is one of them. Like, mm-hmm. are you guys sports fans? Mm, yeah. Uh, okay. And when you're watching the, the uh, what is that, the Stanley Cup? Yeah. Who, what, what team? That's the Bruins. Oh, the Bruins. Okay. Um, you can't watch a Bruins game, you know, like when you DVR it and you're like 15, 20 minutes behind because one of your a hole buddies will text you the score. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And ruin it for you. So you gotta watch sports live. That's one thing. You also have to watch police chases live. (laughs) And, and when you're stuck in traffic and, you know, you see a bunch of helicopters around police helicopters, there's some action you want, you want information immediately. And so you turn on, you know, KFI and we usually, you know, try to provide it for you. I think it's, I I, look, you know, the, with podcasting, um, you know, it's taken some of the audience away. And with, uh, you know, with streaming and stuff like that, but I still I still think that, you know, trust your radio, uh, as long as they keep putting them in cars will be fine. But the new Tesla, they don't include AM radio. So, I mean, my my agent, uh, a guy named Eric Weiss, bought a brand new Tesla and he's on his way home, went to turn on the station to hear one of his clients and he couldn't do it because he didn't they didn't have an AM radio. So boy hope that trend doesn't continue
1: Go in the way of the eight track. Well, the, that's the AM,
0: right. AM radio always throws me back to my grandfather's old car when you just to do a preset, you have to pull the button out, <laughs> yeah. tune it, yeah. and then push the button back in.
2: Right. And then you remember I had to turn the dial to try to tune the station in. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of weird. Um, but, it, but I hope it sticks around for a long time. I love it. I love talk radio growing up. And, I, and we really do have like a, a younger audience. Look, we have a, a significant part of our audience that's in their 20s, like 25 to 30 years old. And when I was 25 to 30, I was like the only guy listening to talk radio. All my other <laughs> friends were out there, you know, trying to get chicks and
0: drinking and smoking weed and I was listening say to talk radio like an idiot. Well, there's some there's some basic things and you look at ebooks and things like that, but there's nothing better than holding a physical book. Mm-hmm. Newspapers, you know, there's right. nothing to me better than actually reading a newspaper, right. maybe a mold, you know. Right. <laughs> but yeah, you know, to me it's the same with radio. There there's podcasts and things are walking around with your, you know, the iPod or your phone or whatever it is, but there's nothing like hearing a conversation between some people and it just, there's something about it to me. That's, that's timeless.
2: Right. And it keeps you company too. I mean, I, I I drove from, uh, my, my wife's from Oregon. And so I drove from uh, Portland back to Burbank and it was a Saturday and Sunday. It took two days to do it. And I listened to sports radio the entire way. And, and it sort of like was having a buddy in the car. Who also enjoyed sports, and and I, I even called in. I like never even called talk radio anyone. I I called in like to ask a question, and then I got nervous going on the air with this guy. <laughs> like an idiot. Role reversal. Yeah, exactly right. But but it it does keep people company, and and you know you can you if if you're alone in the car, you know I can say something like, uh, hey John Elway is coming back to uh, have one more season with the with the uh, with the Denver's. He's going to play for the Broncos for one more season. Now, if you have somebody in your car with you and and I say that and the other guy goes, that's bullshit, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Why Why would he do that? He's 90 years old. He's not coming back to the Broncos. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. But when you're alone in the car, you're like, is that true? <laughs> yeah. is, is that <laughs> way coming back to play for the Broncos? I don't know, right? It's
1: kind of weird. So uh, speaking of the quarantine, have you been broadcasting from home or are you guys still working out of the station? Um, I was broadcasting from home
2: and then – I uh, you can't see it because it's this fucking thing broke, Uh-oh. and so I had to go into the station and and I I enjoyed it much more. It's much easier to go in and and to do it there. Yeah, you run a risk of of dying a horrible death with with the uh you know COVID, but to be in in the studio with you know Belio and Mondo and and the whole gang is really cool. And you guys know this. Uh, I don't know if you guys are married or not, but. You know, guys aren't really built to stay home. No. You know, we're just built to go out and, and, you know, hunters and gathers. Like when you go on vacation imagine, you know, the first thing you do is you drop all your crap in the hotel
1: room and then you get out of the hotel. Exactly right. right. That's what we do. That's what <laughs> yeah. we do. Right? Men need some reason to get up and leave the house, whether That's it's right. work or fishing or, or, or what have you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, we've we've talked about that, too. It's, it's come up. We, we got about, I think, three or four shows in the can before things really shut down again. And just out of respect for Greg and I see each other all the time. We're neighbors. But, you know, out of respect for our guests. OK, let's go to Zoom. And Zoom has been a boon for us because we've been able to connect with folks like you in LA, oh, yeah. across the country, New York, all the way over in the UK. So it's been, you know, very, a uh, uh, cool thing. It, it doesn't take the place of in-person conversation though. And it's, yeah, you're it's right. we were talking about this recently, how challenging it can be to, to gauge when to jump in. You don't want to talk over people. It's a lot harder to gauge body language. So as, you know, as, as, uh, as challenging it can be, it can also be very rewarding because it does allow you to to really talk to folks you may never, ever have met before. But um, there's something to be said for that in-person contact, and we can't wait for that to (laughs) be able to do that again real soon, hopefully.
2: Yeah, it's – I I really – look, it's been a horrible, horrible year, but I think when we all get back to normal, I think every one of us will completely appreciate everything we do much more. I go into a Laker game or Dodger game or a movie or or even a dinner, you know, literally sitting in a restaurant inside of a restaurant, you know, for the rest of our lives. We'll be like, oh, shit, look, we're inside. look, Wow. And there's
1: hot food here. Even shaking hands. Right. As simple as that. Patting on the back, a hug. It's it's yeah, it's it's amazing what we've taken for granted.
2: Yeah. And I think we should go back to shaking hands once we all have the uh, you know, that 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 stupid ass thing where people put their elbows up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> seen that and everyone's so uncomfortable doing it right it's like oh yeah the fist bomb, and you don't know what to do you don't know the elbow the fist and it's it's a mess and and by the way when when somebody shakes your hand and that tells you a billion things about the guy oh yeah whether he whether he looks at you what the, if it's a firm grip it's one of those wet you know south you know the uh, limp uh, fish oh yeah right the limp <laughs> wet fist God almighty and nobody's told that guy right you know, you, you, you know, that, that's not how you shake the hand. The guy's yeah. like 65 years old and he's still just with a
1: dead paw. <laughs> well, our guest today is Tim Conway Jr., KFIAM radio host and son of Tim Conway best known for McHale's Navy, The Carol Burnett Show, and a ton of other fantastic TV shows and movies uh, over the years. Uh, We're really glad to have had this time to talk about uh, Tim's career in radio. And uh, in our next segment, stay tuned. We're going to talk to him a little bit more about his relationship with his dad and growing up a Conway. So stick with us right here on Heilman & Haver.
0: Well, welcome back to Heilman and Haver. Today is March 6th, and on this day in 1981, the most trusted man in America, Walter Cronkite, signed off as anchorman of CBS Evening News after 19 years with his trademark, Valediction, and that's the way it is. And in
1: 1985, Ewell Brenner appeared in his 4, 500th performance of Rodgers and Hammerstein masterpiece musical, The King and I. Brenner also played the title role of King Mongod of Siam opposite uh, Deborah Kerr in the 1956 film adaptation directed by Walter Lang.
0: And born today in 1906, Lou Costello, who partnered with Bud Abbott, made up the most popular comedy team of the 1940s and early 50s and were the highest paid entertainers in the world during World War II. Also born today in 1923, announcer, game show host, comedian, actor, singer, and Johnny Carson's right hand, McMahon, Ed McMahon.
1: And let's not forget Rob Reiner, born in 1947, son of Emmy Award-winning actor, comedian, writer, and producer Carl Reiner. Rob followed in his dad's footsteps and with the 70s hit All in the Family and timeless films like The Princess Bride and Stand By Me. And speaking of following in her father's footsteps, we're pleased to be joined by Tim Conway Jr., award-winning radio host and son of beloved comedian and actor Tim Conway of McHale's Navy and Carol Burnett show Fame. Do you get a lot of you get a lot of interviews where I mean it's just just tell us about your dad. Tell us about your dad because you've got a career too. Does that ever get old oh, as a child? Never, a... never, no? ever.
2: No, it, it doesn't because uh, I, I, um, uh, my, my dad always embraced everybody that, like, when we, we would go to a restaurant, either Baroni's or, um, or, um, you know, San Pietro's or whatever. And, and literally during the Carol Burnett show, it would be like sometimes five or ten times during the meal. People would come up and talk to my dad and, and want to get an autograph or about, you know, or the Carol Burnett or whatever. I we went to Disneyland because people were from out of town. They literally, there'd be like a pack of people like following him. Right. Hmm. And he never ever once got pissed off or was short with anybody. Cause he knew if it wasn't for those people, he would have nothing in life. So he always, always took time. Plus my dad didn't know how to get out of a conversation with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so if he went to a, uh, let's say he went to a, I don't know, uh, to a party. And the cook was outside having a cigarette and the cook said, Hey, I like uh, Mikhail's Navy. My dad would spend three hours talking to that guy, then get in his car and split because he had no idea how to get out of a conversation. So uh, later in life, I taught him, uh, because I would learned at the racetrack, you compliment and leave, you know, you got some funny shit there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gone. Oh man. That, co- that coat looks great. You know, yep. compliment move. but no i i love talking about it 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 helps me as well uh as you know as and and people are interested i would hate to you know have somebody like i know there are some uh celebrities like sons or daughters who hate talking about their parents they hate it as a matter of fact there's this one girl that she now refuses to talk about her dad and her dad's Mm. a very famous man i refuse to talk about him because that's all anybody wanted to talk about and right. and i'm the exact opposite i mean if you guys want to come on and talk about an hour of just talking about mikhail's navy or apple dumpling gang or you know they went that away and that away a billion dollar hobo dwarf whatever i'm in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I i will tell you a funny story i don't you guys probably don't remember mikhail's navy
0: oh i watched mikhail's navy oh
2: you did that okay was, good
0: yeah that was also one of my that was also one of my sick day things i stay home from sick from school mikhail's oh, Navy is one thirty in the afternoon yep
2: oh that's great okay that's that, that's pretty cool greg um but my my dad did a a series of of shows. They did the first season of McHale's Navy, then they took a hi- hiatus, and they were guaranteed to come back for another season. So my dad went home to Cleveland, um, and and was you know going to spend the summer with his mom and dad, my grandparents. And my grandmother said, um, you know, now that you're out of work, I set you up for an interview at Shutt's uh, Hardware Store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and my dad's like, what? He said, "Yeah, but you got an interview tomorrow at 10 a.m. at Shutt's." And he goes, "Mom, I'm 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 going back to the show." She goes, "No, no." She goes, "You're not sitting around the couch all summer. You're you got to work." I mean, you know, my dad was like, you know, 29 years old, 28 years old. So my dad goes down to Shutt's to to meet uh, Mr. Shutt. He had knew him, known him since he grew up, and and sh- and uh, John uh, John Shutt is is showing him through the hardware store. It's one of those old old you know Midwestern hardware stores. You can probably you know you know what it smells like. And and my dad's going around learning where the nuts are, the bolts, the toasters, the uh, you know all this crap. And then he sees over the counter there's a black and white TV screen, and over the counter there's pl- they're playing Mikhail's Navy, and he's watching it
1: in the hardware store while he's interviewing for the job. <laughs> he recounts a lot of those stories in his book, uh, in What's So Funny? And he, That's right. He, he spends a lot of time on your your grandparents, Dan and Sophia. Correct. That's right. Yeah. 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 My my daughter's
2: named after my uh, grandmother. But then Sophia became like a hip name, so mm-hmm. every time I, I explain and I I say yeah, it's my daughter Sophia. She's named after her grandmother, and I was in before you guys. <laughs> Stop with the Sophias. <laughs> were they uh, were they as quirky as your dad made it sound? They were pretty. Uh, yeah, my dad, my grandfather was a very funny man. Um, he he didn't really he didn't know it, but he was hysterical. I, I remember. Um, and I think this is in my dad's book. But there was a, they lived in, in, on the east side of Cleveland, a place called Sugar and Falls. And mm-hmm. it was every, you know, four or five years, you get a tornado warning. And everybody would, you know, slide into the basement. And that happens, all the kids in the basement. And then you hear this like freight train come down the street, right? This tornado comes uh, down the street, missed the house by a couple hundred feet. So my grandfather goes out and he looks out and he sees this elm tree that he used to have in his yard. And it was literally like 80 feet tall. It was probably 10,000 pounds and, you know, 18 feet in circumference, huge, huge old tree, probably 75 years old. And the tree was, was rooted and down the street in the middle of the intersection. And my grandmother, my grandfather gets up, goes outside, looks at where the tree was. And now the tree is, you know, uh, four, 40 yards down the road. And he, and he comes in the house. He goes, God damn kids. <laughs> <laughs> but my grandfather, uh, when he got married, uh, Bill Butler was, his, was a very good friend of his and, and Bill Butler was down wait a minute, Did Bill Butler. Yeah. Bill Butler died. So I can tell this story, but, uh, he was down at a bar with, um, my grandfather, his friend, and they met a woman down there. But my my grandfather was married. So my grandfather goes home, but Bill knocks on my grandfather's door and says, Hey, I met this lady. My wife will kill me. Can I come in for a while? So he says, yeah, but you gotta be quiet. You gotta shut the hell up. Cause you know, my uh, grandmother's sleeping upstairs. So Bill and this woman are you know, uh, on the couch uh, tossing around. And all of a sudden my grandfather gets a knock on his door upstairs. And he he goes, what the hell are you doing? He goes, she died. He goes, what? She died. I don't know how she just passed away. Probably too much alcohol. I'm telling you, she's dead. So my grandfather goes down, you know, tries to get her pulse. She's dead. So instead of calling the cops, they weekend uh, Bernie's her back to the bar and plop her, <laughs> oh, no. her head up on the bar, give Rick a 20
1: and say, hey, you didn't see us. And, that, and nothing ever happened. <laughs> and, this, and this is the environment that your dad grew up in. That's right. And so things start falling into place for us. <laughs>
0: <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> What's the phrase? It explains a lot. Yeah, Yeah, right, right, right. but
2: I mean, you know, imagine (laughs) nowadays doing that. You know, give a guy twenty dollars. He goes, "Hey, she's dead. Don't say anything."
1: Yeah, yeah. So we, um, what, what actually uh, uh, got me thinking about having you on the show was I, I listened to actually um, your dad's autobiography on audiobook, and it was really, really well done. Uh, It was, you know, the two or three paragraphs that he reads in the beginning uh, had me in stitches before the thing even started. And uh, one of the things that really jumped out at me as a dad, I've got, I've got three daughters of my own, was his throughout his career, his dedication to, to you guys, to his family, um, as a father of, of six natural kids and then, and then his stepdaughter as well. Right. And he said over and over, and you've alluded kind of this uh, before, how happy he was to always just be working. And you know, he didn't have that Hollywood agenda um, that allowed him to you know, stay home with you guys and spend more time on you know, the, sh- the shenanigans, the gorilla suits and the swimming pool zip lines, etc. Right. Uh, give us a couple more uh, of your favorite memories of your dad around the house
2: well i my, my dad never really enjoyed you know going to hollywood parties he didn't feel comfortable he, you know he didn't grow up with those type of people he grew up with blue collar guys who worked at factories so no no my dad was around all the time i we went to you know we loved going to builders emporium the old san fernando valley um and it was a it was a different time you know it was it was back when my dad would throw you know six kids and we all had a friend you know or three or four of us had a friend so it'd be like 12 kids and we'd we'd go up to uh, you know Big Bear for you know just for the day to play in the snow. And my dad was always the first guy to you know to jump in the car and go with us and and or you know play football out in front to throw the ball around. And you can tell when and I'm sure uh, Matt and Greg, you you guys have friends. Uh, you can tell when a kid's like ten or eleven years old, you can tell if that dad threw the ball around with him. Mm-hmm. Right? because if not, it looks like he's throwing with his opposite hand. Right. right? <laughs> um, but my, my, I remember, um, my dad, I was, um, I was young. I was probably on sixth grade or so, and I pitched a no hitter. I was a pitcher in uh, little league. I, I pitched no hitter, six innings, no runs, no hits, no walks, nothing. It was, it was great. It was one of the highlights of my life. And I remember going home. My dad was working at the time and, and he got home. I'm still in my, my Boston red Sox uh, you know, uniform. And I said, dad, I said, I threw a no hitter. He goes, oh, great, man. T that's great. Fantastic. I said, I think I got something here. Uh, I, I'd like to pursue baseball. And he goes, uh, sit down. He goes, uh, you're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you're pitching to guys who will never make even their high school team, uh, let alone pros or college or pros. So I'm gonna save you a life of anguish and, and craziness. You're not that good. I'm like, okay, all right. And I, and I thought he probably did save me, right? Yeah, a, a ton of time. Um, but it was, it, it, we, we had a zip line across the pool in, in the San Fernando Valley and, and my dad had, you know, six kids and a wife and we had, you know, some help around the house. So, uh, my, it, my, my dad didn't have a tremendous amount of money, you know, compared to some other celebrities. He bought a house in the San Fernando Valley in 1971 and he paid $110,000 for it. And he had no idea how he's going to you know, pay for it, but it was, it was like, you know, 4,000 square feet. Um, but $110,000. So in in the pool area, and I think, um, you know, obviously he put it up so he could have fun, but he put a zip line across the pool and you get on one end and it would go down and it was connected to a phone pole on the other end. And as you got the deep end or the shallow end, you dropped into the pool. Well, my brother, Sean got too scared to drop and stayed on it the whole time and smashed right into the pole off to the emergency room. My dad had a a uh, like a house account at the local emergency. (laughs) A frequent frequent flyer miles. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, This uh, broken leg is on us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was just a, uh, you know, um, my my mom was a a little crazy and my dad sort of saved us from, uh, you know, that craziness, uh, you know, trying to take the blame for everything. I remember uh, throwing a pillow across the room. And it broke my mom's favorite, like hurricane lamp. I even know what a hurricane lamp was. And it shattered into a million pieces. My mom comes down the stairs, you know, who the uh, getting all crazy. And my dad took the blame for it. He's like, ah, sorry, hmm. man. you know, I tossed a pillow at, at Tim and hit the lamp and, uh, I'll clean it up, okay, <laughs> but, but he, he did a lot of, uh, uh saving us, uh, from, uh, you know, uh, a, a woman who had six kids, five boys. Right. <laughs> Before antidepressants existed. Yeah. Certain death. <laughs> That's
0: right. Right. Imagine that six she had six kids in eight years. Wow. Well, Tim, your dad described himself as as a shy man, but he had obviously had some famous and influential and, and outgoing friends in, in show business. In previous interviews, you shared that the people he liked to bring to the house were kind of the behind-the-scenes guys, the writers, producers, lighting guys, kind of the, right. the working stiffs. Do you think that was the, that he was more comfortable around them because of the Midwestern upbringing. Do you think it was just that, that was you know the kind of guy he was that he he was just kind of the everybody's pal, you know that kind of thing? Well, I I think that that you know uh, those guys are
2: honest. You know the, the the lighting guy, the you know the the associate producer, the writers, they really didn't have any any reason to hold back. You know celebrities. They won't, they're not honest with you for the most part. You know, they're not going to tell you the bad parts of their life or the crazy kids in their life or whatever, because they, they want to protect their image. And, and it's, it's, all, it's all like, a, a, it's a lot of phony, you know, guys walking around, uh, guys and gals. And, and they're not ultimately that interesting. You know, they're, they're reading lines that were written for them. And the guys that wrote the lines, they're interesting. Mm-hmm. But the actors and actresses, for the most part, they, they, do, they, they don't seem, uh, there's something missing there. I mean, it doesn't seem like a whole person. Uh, and, and they love acting. And, and so they love acting like somebody else. And it's, it's a weird, weird, you know, I, I can't put my finger on it, but it, it's something that, uh, you know, when you see these actors on Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel, and, you know, they never say anything like, you're like, wow, really, that happened to you? I mean, it's all just, you know, like uh, canned crap. It wasn't that interesting. Oh, my dad found, you know, the people he grew up with interesting. And those were the guys behind the scenes, the lighting guy and the, you know, associate director and the guy down the street and the guy on the cleaners and that kind of crap.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned that because I remember uh, an interview Johnny Carson had with Gore Vidal and they they were lamenting the fact that they don't have conversations anymore. That because you notice when an actor goes on Fallon or Kim, it's all scripted. It's like you got the, the host is the setup guy. So do you have anything interesting to tell us about your trip to the Bahamas? And, you know, there's a story behind it. Sure. Something's right. pre-planned.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, but and- but it not only is it pre-planned on Letterman, everything was written. And, and so if you went off script to tell the story, he got pissed and he wouldn't talk to you during the commercial break.
0: Really? No yeah. kidding.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Kind of wow. a strange bird.
0: Well,
1: it's like Dick Cavett said, I think it was Steve Allen, um, Jack Parr, one of the two that told him, have a conversation with people. And and Cavett was, I think, one of the you know the best at that. Just simply sitting and having a conversation with the likes of Orson Welles, Betty Davis, these right. these people who, again, probably were a little bit more apt to tell the real story maybe than than modern day celebrities. But sure, um, that's something that we we strive to do too here on the show. Is that it's a lot of fun to talk to the folks behind the scenes, the composers, the screenwriters. Um, last last week we talked to Danny Bilson who wrote uh the rocketeer uh working with spike lee he's the guy behind the scenes uh doing the writing and he's an interesting dude <laughs> right
2: look the, the, one of my favorite guests well the favorite guests we ever had on were the people that walked off the show right because they they got upset that those were the, the ultimate greatest guests ever but secondly one of the great guests we had on was a guy from uh, northern california who knew everything in the world about trees Right, he hmm. knew when he knew what you know what type they were, where they grow, how to fix them if they're sick, if they they got disease, whatever. And that guy was infinitely more interesting than than 99% of the people in show business. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, but I, I like I like those kind of guys. You when know, you when you when you're, when you're tra- traveling around and you're listening to weekend radio shows and a guy comes on and he's a chef, right? I I love that kind of crap. Or another guy's uh, you know an expert in uh in in boats or trees or cars or whatever yeah you know, specialists. Like guys, yeah specialists yeah with a lot of knowledge and and just they're having you can tell they're having fun on the radio talking about it and their their passion comes over the radio as well
1: well speaking of passion and speaking of hobbies uh no interview with a conway would be complete without talking about horse racing
2: ding dong with <laughs> yes you. <Let's> right
1: <laughs> your dad was an avid fan uh owned horses a lot of funny stories in his books about about um some of the Challenges they had with some of the animals (laughs) that they owned with his second wife char and you know even with friends like uh, harvey corman Uh, He also founded the don mcbeth memorial jockeys fund um, Which did an immense amount of amazing work uh, for out-of-work jockeys And and in fact june 2nd, I believe of 2019 was declared tim conway day at santa anita, right? I think you're right. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and I yeah my dad enjoyed uh, the racetrack his grandfather my grandfather came to america after living in 10 different orphanages, orphanages until he was 18 years old, finally got on a ship, came across America. And his first job was at Thistledown, which is the racetrack in in, uh, in Cleveland. And so my dad grew up around horse races and horse tracks, and those are the greatest people in the world. There's not a single person that goes to the racetrack that doesn't have a a million stories and a great sense of humor, because they're gambling, right? They're gambling. Like if you go to Santa Anita, which is the big racetrack here in Southern California, There's probably about 400 handicapped parking spots in the parking lot, and they're always full. There's not 400 handicapped people in there. Those guys are gamblers. Right. And they're gambling that they're not going to get a ticket
1: (laughs) while they're in the track. Right. They like the action. So you, you grew up around Santa Anita, Hollywood Park. Uh, Del Marone, I mean, starting at a really young age, right? You, you've got oh, yeah. your stories in your dad's book about taking you out at, out to the track at, what, in third grade for a math lesson? Tell us what happened at, uh, out there.
2: It was, uh, I was not I was in Miss Bernstein's class in elementary school at the Valley and wasn't doing well in math. So my dad, on a Wednesday, takes me out of school, takes me to the racetrack, and everything about the racetrack is math, uh, you know what from the, what the jockey weighs to the times, the quarter pole, how much money is being bet on win show... Uh, and, and place, uh, the gimmicks, which are the trifecta super everything is math, everything at the racetrack. And it was great. I, by the end of the day, I understood that, you know, that math is important. If you want to go to the racetrack and in, in life, and there's a lot of, and, and I really became interested. And while I didn't learn everything that day at the racetrack about math, I learned that I loved math and, and then I, you know, and numbers were a big deal. And and the only thing that really came sort of easy for me, so I get back to Miss Bernstein's class the next day, and she says, "Okay, the three speeches were given today, uh, Carrie, Wendy, and Tim." I'm like, "Oh shit, I got nothing," you know, because I'm one of those guys that that doesn't plan anything, right? Uh, you know, if I have to give a speech in third grade, you get five months notice, and the night before I start writing it. So I had nothing. I look at my backpack, and I see that there's a program that I had from the previous day at Santa Anita. So I picked the program out and I show these kids how to box an exacta. right? I say, if you like the three and the five in this race, you know, you wanna go three, five, five, three. So if the five comes in first or second, you win. And if the three comes in first or second, in that order, you win. And if you don't have it boxed, if the five wins and you have the three up front, you lose. <laughs> Off to the principal's office. <laughs> and the principal called my dad and said, this is borderline child abuse to teach your third grader how to box and exact at the racetrack. And my dad says, let me tell you what child abuse is. He has it 5'3". It comes in 3'5", and he doesn't have it boxed. That's child abuse. (laughs) (laughs) That's child abuse. It it was a lot of fun out there. It really is. uh, Some of my, my favorite memories are sitting there with my dad at the track. I remember going out with my dad and my, my stepmother was, was not feeling well at the time. She wasn't gravely ill, she was just sick. And I pick up my dad at his house, we go to the racetrack, we spend six hours there. We go eat, I drive him home. I spend 10 hours with him. And I get home and my wife says, I, how's uh, your stepmother doing? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, she, he didn't say anything about it? He didn't and I didn't ask. Right, we we're at the racetrack. <laughs> we had other <laughs> but, priorities. But, you know, you, 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 we just talked about the races. That's what you do at the racetrack, you know. We we you, you know, we're too much time. We spend too much time handicapping the race to talk about other stuff, right? And it's an escape. You want to get out mm-hmm. there to not, th- you know, talk about crap like that. We'll have to get you up
1: here to Emerald Downs. We got a beautiful track.
2: I love Emerald Downs. My yeah. my dad spent. My dad was uh, uh, stationed in the army up in Seattle, and would love right. going to a uh, uh, Emerald Downs.
1: What's the big fort up there? Fort. Uh, Fort Lewis, Fort Lewis, right? Yeah, Fort yep. Lewis. Fort Lewis. Yeah, that was an interesting part of his book. I enjoyed that. He, he goes, "That's like, that's you know, just a, a little south of us, uh, south of Tacoma," and uh, and he also spoke about, I think, uh, doing some walk-on parts in Seattle theater. I mean, that was kind of his first foray. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. He 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 loved uh, Seattle, and you know, obviously he lived up there for a while. And when he was in the army, he was in charge of you know typing up an unbelievable typist i mean he literally could type like a thousand words a minute so he would be in charge of sending people around the country and he would type up their orders so he would literally type up his own orders like hey we're sending thomas daniel conway to cleveland for two weeks right He'd hand the order and oh he's off to uh, cleveland for two <laughs> weeks uh, but he, he I absolutely loved uh, uh seattle and he always um bragged that you know, for the two years he was up at Fort Lewis, they were not attacked once—not one enemy. That's right. Uh, you know, no foreign enemy ever, ever attacked that at fort when he was there. He was very proud
1: of that, by the way. And along with the typist, he was also quite a, a seam. Uh, was it? A, it? wouldn't be a seamstress. it Would be a, a seamster. Uh, I, I I yeah. He 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 made
2: his own clothes. I mean, yeah. he, he made his own. I remember him uh, making his own uh, sports coat, and I when I was living with him, one of my, my chores was to take all his stuff to the cleaners and pick them up. And so I'd take all that stuff down to the cleaners and all the clothes came back and they always smell like cigarettes. My dad didn't smoke, but the guy who owned the cleaners did, right? <laughs> so that was always interesting. And so I'd bring the clothes back and one day, you know, all of his pants, all of his slacks, all of his shirts were all in the plastic bags, but one of his sports coats was not. And and I said to the guy, I said, did, did you guys... Uh, forget this he says no he says it's so poorly made we can't it doesn't fit on our machines <laughs> he goes, this has to be a gimmick jacket that your dad got from the carol burnett show uh, because i can't even fit it on the machine it is so poorly made
1: so he made all his clothes and harvey corman took all of his clothes off the rack from the carol burnett show <laughs> that's right yeah you stole
2: everything that's right yeah that's right
1: that's 100 uh, percent correct
0: by the way seamster is, is it Teamster? It to... is Seamster. So I was right. We, we talked about the instant thing. I just went off to Google and, and, and did it. Kind of like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like Teamster. Kind of like Teamster. Seamster. Right. Um, and Taylor is gender neutral, uh, by the way. Ah, of, Taylor. So there you go. Oh, good. I learn something um, new every day on this show.
2: I never yeah. knew that. I never knew he's a Seamster.
0: Well, speaking of Carol Burdett and your, uh, some of the people on, on that show. So before you made the move to radio, you took part in a lot of your dad's productions, Dorf videos. Dorfman golf, one of my favorites. Yes. Did voices on Johnny Carson um, episodes of mama's family, the spinoff that Vicki Lawrence did from uh, the Cal Burnett show. Your dad is still a dad, but as an entertainer yourself, it must've been fascinating to spend time with some of these talented folks um, that, you know, kind of in the, in the periphery of, of his world. Are there any memories that stand out to you of some of these famous colleagues that your dad had?
2: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, the, the people that came over to the house, like Carol Burnett would come over for uh, Christmas, uh, Harvey Corman, uh, Don Knotts occasionally. And it was always su- super surreal and odd that you're having Christmas dinner and you look to your left and it Don Knotts is sitting there, hmm. right? I mean, it was just such a, such an unbelievable moment. Um, but it, that, that, that Carol Burnett show had a tremendous effect on, on a lot of people. And I remember being at work, and and I uh, work, you know, over at KFI, and one of our sister stations is KLAC, and and they run a, a charity every year uh, for um, disabled veterans. And James Worthy, you know, the great uh, uh, basketball player for the LA Lakers, was coming in to answer phones and for the charity event and be interviewed on the radio. And I never really get starstruck, but I wanted to meet James Worthy and, and tell him what a huge part he had in my childhood. And so I was talking to him and he asked what I did. And I said, do a a show on KFI. And then uh, he says, what's your name? I said, uh, Conway He says, are you any relation to Tim Conway? And I said, yeah, that's my dad. And he, he shakes my hand and he says, let me tell you something, young man. I said, young man, I'm probably older than he is. (laughs) Uh, uh, He says, he, he, James Worthy said, I won championships in high school. I won championships in college. Uh, I won championships in the NBA. I have more money than I can ever spend and he said i would give all of it away including my house my cars everything i own my trophies i'd give all of it away to have one more hour in north carolina on the couch on a saturday with the windows open and sitting next to my grandmother and watching the Carol Burnett show isn't
1: that crazy wow
2: isn't that wild
1: that's powerful Awesome. Huge,
2: huge, unbelievable effect. Yeah, but it, it was fun. I mean, I, you know, it, it's fun to have vibe. You know, Mannix was uh, <laughs> was at my uh, uh, at wedding with uh, Carol Burnett. That was kind of cool. But again, my dad didn't have a, you know, a tremendous amount of, of contact. Uh, you know, didn't like to go to parties. He wasn't comfortable and and didn't really have a lot of celebrities over the house. One of the ones that you guys may know the voice, may not know his name, but it's Ernie Anderson. Yeah. And Ernie Anderson was the voice of, you know, the love boat. You know, he's the, you know, the great voice of ABC growing up, you know, then Thursdays, you know, that, that unbelievable voice. Um, he did, um, all the ABC shows, you know, have you driven a Ford? You know, that, that, uh, and Parquet was another one. He did all these voiceovers. Well, my dad and him met in Cleveland in the fifties and they came out to Hollywood together to try to make it. And so I, Ernie Anderson was a big, huge part of my, of my childhood. And at one point, uh, Ernie was smoking cigarettes and his wife Edwina, said, if you keep smoking, I'm leaving you. Um, and he goes, Oh, fuck it, man. So <clears throat> she comes up, he was at, he was at her office and she drives up and he's smoking a cigarette and I was 14 at the time. So he draw she drives up and he sees her and he hands me the cigarette and he goes, that's yours. I said, All right. <laughs> so when it comes in, I take a hit of the cigarette to try to sell it. And she goes, you smoke? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> so she goes into her office and he grabs the cigarette and he goes, I told you not to put your fucking lips on it.
1: <laughs> like the voice of God.
2: Like, like it was it, like, <laughs> like. To avoid, you know, her finding out that he was indeed smoking, he still didn't want to relinquish, rel- relinquish just the one cigarette. One he,
1: hit. <laughs> <laughs> told you not to put your fucking
2: lips on that
1: man. <laughs> right. How about Harvey? Did you get to spend much time with her? I'm a huge Harvey Corman fan. I did.
2: Harvey Corman was uh, a truly one of the greatest characters of all time. I remember when my dad and and Harvey were they were doing a show up in, in Lake Tahoe. So they're going to fly from LAX to Reno and then take a car up to Lake Tahoe. And I had nothing to do that weekend. I wasn't working. So I said, Hey, can I go And they said, Yeah, sure. Jump on the plane. So we're going to take American airlines up to Reno and Reno drive up to Tahoe. So we get on the plane and Harvey's in front of me. And he said to the, the two uh, stewardesses, he goes, uh, good afternoon ladies. And they said, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Corman, uh, very nice to meet you. Uh, that's great. And they looks in the cockpit and there's no pilots in the cockpit. And he says to the uh, flight attendants, he goes, uh, Hey, where are the pilots? And the two flight, the two stewardesses said, where are the pilots? And he looks and he goes, wait a minute, you guys are the pilots? He goes, he, they said, yep. And he says, I'll catch you on the next flight. And he, <laughs> he turns around, he walks off the plane and he, and he got on the next flight. He met us up there like an hour and a half later. And I said, Harvey, what was that all about? And he goes, if this, if this plane goes down, I want a guy in that cockpit pushing every button and pulling every lever. I don't want a
1: woman in the microphone going,
2: tell my sweetheart I love them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. One of my favorite bits that they did uh, when they were touring together, I think it was a charity event, I think. it's You can see the clip on YouTube um, where they play the um, the very harried traveler and your dad plays the very slow... Uh, it, much in the vein of the world's oldest man, the world's oldest uh, flight booker, <laughs> right. airline yeah. guy. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I'm in stitches every time, and they must have been in their, I mean, I'm assuming 80s at that point or it's, uh, late 70s. Was, Car- was, was, was oh, yeah. Harvey significantly older than your dad? He was a few years older, right?
2: Uh, he was a few years older, not, uh, you know, not, uh, but he was still, you know, sharp all the way up until the end. Yeah. Um, the, I, I remember, you know, when uh, a friend of mine, had a grandfather who wanted to go see the show in Palm Springs. And, and so we gave him tickets and he went every year. Uh, my friend's grandfather went every year in Palm Springs, five years in a row, went to see my dad and Harvey and, and, and Louise Duarte and watched the entire show. And so Jason lock grandfather goes backstage. And I happen to be there that, uh, that weekend and says to my dad and Harvey, he goes, I've seen the show five years in a row. And he was, I goes, I gotta thank you guys for making it fresh and changing the entire show every year so I can come back and enjoy it. What he didn't know is that show was word for word the same every year, <laughs> but he was 92, so he forgot last year's show. It's like, it's like when my dad wrote his book, uh, they were very successful. They had a very nice run, and they, they actually had a, a second and a third printing of, of the book, which was very fortunate. And then the, the publisher asked my dad to write a second book, So he writes the first 25 pages of it and gives gives it to my stepmother because she was always the one to be very honest with him, whether it was good or bad. And she reads it and she says, it's great. It's sensational. However, it's all in your first book. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: my dad said, yeah, that's the idea. Just put out the same book because the people reading them will forget that they read it. Well, and that's kind of like what he said in his in his intro to his own book, um, which he didn't narrate, but he he intros it and says, you know, I uh, people keep asking me to you know to, to to narrate my own book, but I've read it; I don't need to read it again. <laughs> There's nothing new in there, and I just I was driving, I was you know driving home from the library, just losing it. Right. But uh, that's when I that what that's one that needs to go on the shelf permanently. It's a it's a phenomenal read, um, that's you great. know, young and old. Um, this I I did a review on the book uh, a couple days ago on our oh, cool. our Facebook page and said. Get YouTube ready when you're either listening to this or reading it. Have it ready. I bought a copy from my mom, she's loving it, but you it does, it just inspires you to go and watch those old clips. Oh, that's great, man! So that's really well, cool. We wanted to get back to, to fatherhood real quick here sure. before you wrap up. And you know, he, like you said, your dad was was not necessarily a, a you know, party animal by any stretch of the imagination. But every room he walked into, he he admits that he looked immediately for something. Something, a way to make people laugh—that was just in his DNA, right? And so I assume humor had to have been part of his parenting style. And you guys were obviously close. Well, you know what? Oh. What parenting skills did you did you take from him that you now use?
2: Well, I, I think never. First of all, never hitting my kid—not even think about it. But also, very rarely raising my voice. I never heard my dad swear, and I never heard him yell at any of us. He would just do it with you know, with pretty quiet, uh, you know, like. I'm pretty firm about things, but very quiet. Like, like here's it or, or with humor, like here's an example. Um, my curfew in high school was midnight. I'd be home by midnight. I was pretty good in high school. So I was out all night one night, you know, probably, you know, not scoring on chicks and <laughs> drinking beer, which is typical. And I get home one, one morning around eight o'clock in the morning and turn the alarm on, get in bed, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm out. And my dad wakes me up around 11 o'clock. He said, what time did you get home last night? And I said, I got home around 1158, I think. <laughs> and he walks out and he says, um, <clears throat> "And he says, uh, are you sure you got home around 1158? I said, yeah. And he said, well, the LA Times gets delivered at 530 in the morning. And he walks out. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does the LA Times have to do with me? He goes, uh, your car's parked on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. busted
2: all right all right i get it i get it i, I understand it and you know so he would do it you that's the way he told me you know you're you're not gonna be home at six or seven o'clock in the morning anymore and i and i didn't you know he didn't have to yell he just had to know that he, he that he knew that i was lying to him and i felt horrible but it's also you know a story another story that i had another one um like he used to come into my room and he'd say Geez, I got to really thank you um, because all the other kids in the house, you know, I'm, I'm having to replace their carpet like every four or five years. But in your room, I'm, I'm going to ne- I'll never have to replace the carpet. And then he starts walking. Out, I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, he goes, I can walk on your pants, then your shirt <laughs> then a box, <laughs> then a tray, then a plate, another box, <laughs> another shirt, a pair of pants, and I leave. Never have to use the carpet in your house, in your room. I'll never have to change it. And that's, again, <laughs> his way of saying, clean up the room.
1: <laughs> right? Without, without saying it. And was it possible to keep a straight face when you're being chastised by a man like him? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty fun. We had a great time because I,
2: I uh, when my parents got divorced, I was 14. Or you know, 14 going on 15. And the, my brothers were all younger and my sister was older. And they all decided to stay with my mom. But I moved out with my dad, uh, which my mom hated, right? Because I'm, you know, I'm splitting with my dad. And it was it was great. It was just like the two of us for about three years until he got into another relationship and got married. And it was fantastic. You know, just, uh, you know, it was just him and I in this, you know, house in Encino. So that was kind of a cool, cool time.
1: Well, it's, it's always, um, it's so pleasant when you meet people that you admire like yourself, and you hear about people that you admire and you hear that they are the way that you hope they would be. Well, yeah. You know what?
2: I, I, I agree. I agree with you. Not, not, uh, uh, you know, so much me, but when, when you do meet somebody uh, like we, we've had some guests on our show, some pretty big guests, like mayor Garcetti was one of them. And, um, Larry King was another, but they would come in to be interviewed on the air, Mayor Garcetti is the mayor of Los Angeles mm-hmm. and Larry King the talk show from host from CNN and and who just passed away recently. And they both came in without any entourage. You know, they mm. just walked in by themselves. We buzzed them in, they came in, did the interview and and split, you know? I'm just like regular normal people. And I grew up in the same area as Mayor Garcetti around the same time, and we didn't ever even we didn't even talk politics. We just talked about uh, you know, did you go to Perry's Pizza? Oh, was not a cool place. Yeah, it was right down the street from uh, on on Zelza, where that McDonald's was. Oh yeah, right, the uh, ice cream place there. I mean, it's just sort of you know getting to know the you know the the actual human side of people is kind of cool.
1: For those who who can't tell, we're talking to Tim Conway Jr. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. We're having a great time. Well, guys, I appreciate uh, coming on, and I uh, and I uh, wish you the uh, a tremendous
2: amount of luck with this and success and. And when, it, and when you guys do put it up on the internet, let me know, and we'll promote it on, on KFI.
1: Yeah, this has been a real pleasure, Tim. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Dig dong with you two. I appreciate it. Matt, nice to meet you. Greg, nice to meet you. Well, thank you again to our guest, Tim Conway Jr. You can tune to Tim's show on iHeartRadio and on the KFI website at kfiam640.iheart.com. And get in on the fun.
0: Follow Tim on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And they're all linked in the show notes. And tune in next week we will be joined by Tracy Gossel, founder of the Nonprofit Film Preservation Society, which has recovered and restored several silent films formerly thought to be lost or unavailable for viewing, including three starring Douglas Fairbanks, topic of tracy's 2015 biography the first king of hollywood and don't forget heilman and haver can now be heard every week you can find us on apple podcasts
1: youtube amazon audible iHeartRadio, radio spotify and pandora if you enjoy the show make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend or two and we'd love to hear from you so please join the conversation on facebook and twitter and email us with thoughts and comments at heilman and haver at gmail.com and until the footlights come up again thanks for supporting local theater and for joining us right here on heilman and haver